Two pastors and Tom walk into a bar, but this is no joke. It's the start of a conversation between three friends about culture, God, beer, and more. So pull up a chair, order a pint, and let's get started. Welcome to Pine Class Preachers. I'm Tom. You're familiar with Josh and Gabe. Tonight, friends, we come to you with a special message, a message that shines like a beacon of hope to all who we can reach with this gospel. And folks, we want to reach as many people with the gospel as we can. And tonight, you have a very special opportunity in Christ to help us continue spreading the gospel. Through much prayer, we have decided that we can reach more people by going on the road, as it were. And by road, we mean the air. In order to reach people around the globe, Gabe, Josh, and I will be traveling across the country and across the globe with Pine Class Preachers. But in order to do this efficiently, the Lord has called us to purchase a Gulfstream 750. We generally forego the trappings of materialism and luxury. And we want you to know that this is not about luxury. It's about efficiently reaching people with the gospel. As our good listeners, we know that God has blessed you immeasurably. In fact, I want you to think right now about all the blessings that God has given you. Go ahead. Think about it right now, especially those financial gifts. He has blessed you. And in turn, you can bless him through us. So tonight we ask you to consider a gift of Pine Class Preachers Ministry. We want you to think about the blessings you have received because of your faith and give generously. Not a $100 gift, not a $1,000 gift. We want you to dig deep. The deeper you dig, the more God will bless. Your gift will not only give us expedient travel accommodations, but it will give jobs in the form of pilots and stewardesses, personal assistants and drivers. And this isn't just about our needs for our ministry to share the love of Jesus. This is about you. The bigger gift you give, the more blessings you will receive, the more God will love you, the more money you will make, the hotter spouse you will have, the more beautiful children you will have. Just give, just believe, just receive. Hallelujah! Name it and acclaim it in the name of the Lord. Victory! Dude, I am really nervous if this is someone's first time listening to this. Like, are you? I was like, what is he doing? Yeah, yeah. Although I suppose, yeah, if we get a ten thousand dollar check, I will no longer be nervous. Ten thousand dollars? We need another zero on that. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. We're talking about a 750 here, which has just a couple more zeros behind that number to make it for real. You know, it would actually Fair be enough. the worst case scenario, Tom, is if we somehow peer pressured Janet into moving from $1.99 <laughs> a month to like $19.99 a month. Janet, we need your support. Janet, we no, we it. don't. Don't listen to your son. You've been, you've been as faithful as the widow of Zarephath, okay? There we go. Or there we go. Zarephath. Zarephath? Uh, Zarephath? Zarephath? So... Nobody cares. For those of you that didn't understand what Tom was doing there, first of all, we don't believe, I mean, we believe actually parts of what he said, uh, but, but there's large the part portions of the Gulf Stream 750. Yeah. Especially the part about, the, no, we don't, we're not getting a plane. We don't believe in people giving us money to buy planes. Um, we paper, certainly think paper that, airplanes, paper airplanes. I fly like paper, get high like planes. If you catch me on a corner, I got pizza in my name. I knew, I knew that, that was that coming. A, oh my the God. minute. 
Is you that a, is that a SoundCloud emo rapper that I that I just heard you? No, play? man, that's MIA. You don't remember no. that song oh, from no. Some Dog Millionaire? No, there was like I also didn't there listen was to MIA. Sounds in the background, it was great. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. All I want to do is and it. And only, take your money. The only thing I remember from that movie is a young Shia Weller from Mumbai. <laughs> I always wanted that. that chai, man. It looks so delicious. I did make some samosas tonight, and they were delicious. What? Samosa I make really Gabe. good samosas. Yeah. You know what? That's going to be your new nickname, Samosa Gabe. I am honored by that, uh, my friend. Is uh, this possibly our most ADD uh, intro ever? It has to be. Friends, we're talking about the prosperity gospel today. Uh, what is and what isn't it? Uh, it's distinction between that and Christus Victor. Uh, and I realize for some of you may be like Snoozeville. Uh, that's fine. Listen to something else, dummy. But for those of you that <laughs> read a book. Oh, man. There goes all that money that Tom harangued for us at the beginning of this intro. <laughs> but but for those of you who are up for it, uh, we think it's a pretty interesting conversation and uh, and hopefully informative. And we certainly welcome and value your feedback in the midst of that but before we get to any of that wait what else serious question to all to to our listeners that have made it thus far what else do you have to do right now that's all stuck at the house but i did send you guys the the, that graph like podcast listening and downloading is way down right now way down so let's turn this trend around if you subscribe and invite 10 of your friends to subscribe to pine glass preachers (laughs) you will receive a blessing from the lord well and here's the plus side though when you're as low as we are in the podcasting charts like it's not like it really affects us like that much like it's like same 17 people are listening right hey speaking of which let's let's it's been a while since we've had a shameless plug here because we're never anything but shameless. We have been sitting at 20 iTunes reviews for like a good 18 months now. So if you good was listen- the last time we put an episode out, but go right. on. <laughs> so here's what I would, I mean, hashtag COVID-19 challenge to leave us a review. <laughs> that means to dippity, dippity, type, 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 type something out on the iTunes podcast and give us a five-star rating. So you know what? Maybe this time next year, we would have been affected, Gabe. Maybe, if only, could be. You know what? I know that people like to be part of a winner. Um, it's true of fundraising. It's true of being on a team and things like that. And I think we undersell ourselves just a little bit. Like, we always joke that we have 17 listeners and things like that. But how many how many average downloads do we have per episode? Like, it, it's a couple hundred, right? Wait. Am I supposed to have those statistics? Do you have those numbers? Yes, gosh, have no, them. I don't have those. I can't even tell you the last time I checked. Well, but and I think the last time it I is, checked, we had a lot. And it so, is like, a couple hundred, but we have to be fair. Like, I think a good 50 of those couple hundred are from like uh, French New Guinea and like Papa, Papa New Guinea, a lot of New Guineas, uh, and like uh, Guam and like. Like, I'm just certain we don't have a base there. Okay, I'm just going to tell here's, you. Here's what we'll do. I will – you guys start with what we're drinking, and I will actually look up our analytics, okay? All right. I, I'm going to start because last time I had boring tea. This time I'm much more exciting. Uh, folks, I've talked about my margaritas on this uh, on this podcast before. Just to jog your memory, it is two shots of tequila, about a three-quarter shot of either triple sec or, as Josh and I were just talking, you throw in some fresh orange juice in there, and it really changes the flavor profile, okay? Uh, You do about three-fourths to a full shot of 
of lime juice. Then you throw in just a little bit, a squirt, a dollop of some agave syrup. I prefer an amber, if you will. And then that's usually been the, uh, the uh, margarita of choice. But lately, my wife and I have been throwing on a ginger beer topper. And that spices things up, I'll let you know. And uh, it is a wonderfully delicious uh, margarita. So that's what I'm drinking tonight. Did you even say tequila? Yeah, first thing, two shots. Okay, okay, got it, got it, got it. And tonight tonight it's Kirkland's finest uh, Anejo tequila. Not their silver, don't even bother with that. Their Reposado is really good, but their Anejo is smooth. Let's talk real quick, though. Did you go to Costco to buy that, like, pre-pandemic or post-pandemic? Here's the deal. Pre-pandemic, I like week before pandemic, I was in Costco and I saw that they had the Anejo because they very rarely have that. And I said, sweet. So I picked up a bottle. And then, I mean, we still have to go shopping for, for food, right? And for us, that, that means Costco. And so a couple of weeks ago, I went and I picked up some staples. They were very nice and cleaning off the carts for me. I came in with my mask and my gloves and I was all like, you know, not getting any near, near anybody. Um, but, you know, I was like, well, I'm here. Might as well peruse the liquor section and got ourselves another bottle just in case this pandemic lasts us longer than we think. Which it will. Which it uh, will. I need to go to Costco again. So at any rate, uh, for me, uh, I'm just doing some some gin on the rocks. Actually, my rocks have melted, so it's uh, just gin. Which, uh, if you listen, up. if you listen to Trump and, and his uh, organization, if you were drinking tonic with that, you would be cured of of uh, of COVID. So is that right? Well, oh, so this hydrochloride quinine thing, um, and I'm not even sure if I'm pronouncing. It. I'm sure my brother will listen to this and tell me I'm not. But uh, hey, quinine man. is is one of the key ingredients in tonic and it, it does ward off the malaria and things like that. But all of a sudden Trump, who is our, of course, virus expert in this country is letting us all know that if we do enough of this, uh, we will, we will be cured of, of the Corona. So uh, drink some gin and tonics folk. It's good, good, good thing. So the, the kind I'm drinking, I guess we're keeping with an Indian theme tonight uh, is Bombay Sapphire. So uh, it's good. You know, I mean, listen, no one's writing home about drinking Bombay Sapphire, but it's fine. No, but it's what it's I'm going to drink if I'm out and then my options are between Bombay Tank and whatever the rail is. Right. Exactly. Yep. Yep. So I'm feeling all right about it. Yeshua, what are you okay. drinking, my friend? Well, here's the thing. I have some very exciting news on both the drink front and the analytics front. What do you Woo! want first? Let's hear it, babe. Uh, uh, yeah, drink. drink. Okay. I have something so special. So I was at the store. Now that uh, spring has come and summer's right around the corner, uh, this was post-quarantine, uh, but I had to do my, annu- my my weekly grocery shopping trip, mask on and everything, so I'm being safe, people. And per my wife's request, she wanted some hard seltzers, okay? Not truly. Those are gross. She wanted sure. the White Claws. That's her summertime go-to. So I'm over in Classy. the right- – I know. I'll tell you what. I'm very tempted to try the Bud Light seltzers. Have you guys had oh, one yet? No. I no. Just, I'm just curious. How long before White Claw is the Zima of our listen uh, of this I'm decade? Gonna be, listen, I'm going to be the one plugging this all night, all night long. Uh, good listener, text us. We would like to have a poll. Bud Light Seltzer, White Claw, or Truly at 612-208-6258. Let's start yeah, off the show guys- with a poll. 
You guys, you guys have been texting us your photos of rosé everything for like the last year and a half, which has been amazing. And also just kind of makes me throw up in the back of my mouth every single time I see one of those. But like, let's start seeing your, your photos of White Claw and other disgusting hard seltzers. Seltzers, seltzers, seltzers. But anyway, so I pick up the, the seltzers and I take, a, uh, take a little lap through our beer aisle and I came across a throwback some th- this beer that I have not had since my days at Concordia University, Irvine, when my friend Skyler and I every Tuesday night, no coinkadink there, I should think, since we record on Tuesdays, is <laughs> none other than Boddington's English Pub oh. Ale. <laughs> yes, I do not like Boddington's. Shame on you. I've had bad nights with Boddington's, man. And not like because I drank too much, because I drank two and had the poops. Like, listen, Boddington, like it, listen, Boddington's, okay, some chips and a scotch egg makes for a wonderful night at the pub. Ugh. So, anyway, yeah. I found this little four pack. And so that's what I'm drinking tonight. And I'm so excited. It's just like a walk down memory lane. I feel like every episode, I have to be the American that, that takes his stand against that tyrant, King George, constantly trying to creep his way into our podcast. Well, as you drink your Indian coffee. Wow. Well, I guess they got, they got every right. To you know, be I, I am honestly surprised. I did not expect the vitriol towards Boddington's that you have just displayed, Gabe. I, it is odd. I mean, you, I know. And I actually, to be honest, I'm a little bit of an Anglophile, but like, I just don't like Boddington's, man. I, I It's like, wow. it just has never sat well with me. Okay, well, then I'm going to move on past the Boddingtons and get to reports. Demographics. First of all, we – and I listen, I am just as surprised as you're about to be. Uh, up until the last, like, say, 20 episodes or so, we have an average download rate of over 600. Per episode or total? Per episode. Now, okay, when you say the, the last 20, that would be like okay if we did one a day, but 20 is like two and a half years for us. So, uh, let's see, we're on episode 64. We just released episode 64, and on episode 44, we had 511. Okay, listens, okay, and then the last oh, and that was oh man, that was January of 2018. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a long time ago, man. Oh boy, so okay, we dropped. Listen, I'll just let, let me lift this up. Let's inflate the egos a little bit. Total downloads all time of Pine Glass Preachers is just shy of 38,000. And that yeah. is in Hey, listen, that's in the United States alone. Gabe, I'm going to read you off the list of where everyone else has been listening. And yeah. Please say that in your quotes where right. everyone else has been listening. Right. There's no there's no guineas to be found. I'm sorry. Dang it. So, runner-up to the Americas is none other than the Netherlands. Apparently, the Dutch are loving some pine glass breaches. We're big there. Then they know our, I like Johan Cruyff. Right. Then our friends to the north, oh, Canada. They come right. in a distant third. France is number four. Man, yeah, I tell yeah. you what. And then finally, to wrap up the bottom three, Ireland, Italy, and surprise, surprise, Chile. Yeah. With one. So those are all bots. Oh, are uh, one they? person in Chile just like are oh, they? about it. That's a potential. That's a potential. I think someone who's down there on a, like a mission trip. That's or what I'm saying. Like, I feel like we could really gain a foothold. Uh, that's maybe not a bad shot. Hey, okay, listen. Okay, okay, the, okay, okay. the Netherlands might not be bots either because um, we've got a young man 
who used to attend Bridge City, Evan, who went over with YWAM, I believe, to the Netherlands about a year, oh, well, maybe two years ago now. So, Evan, if you've been listening and telling all your Dutch friends to uh, tap into the pod, thank you. We're international, baby. Love you, bro. Love you. So, real quick, though, what? how much did we drop? What are we now? Like 200? No, we're Worst. still like in the three to 400 range. All right. I think it's All like right. a gradual upswell, okay? That's because right. we took like a good portion of last summer and fall off. Okay, so, Tom, let's not focus on the negative. Instead, let's focus on the funny. And I have a very funny group text message thread, uh, well, experience for you. So in the midst of this corona pandemic, as many of us have, we've been, or many of us pastors at least have, we've been trying to figure out ways to keep in touch with our flocks. And since I have a small church, I just put everyone onto one giant text message thread. And so we've been texting and we've got this thing called Selfie Tuesdays where everyone sends a picture at some point about what they're doing on Tuesdays, right? Fantastic. So tonight, one of our members says, hey, can I add my husband onto this uh, onto this thread because he wants to be on it? I was like, wait a second. I could have sworn that he was on it. Then I scroll through the names of participants and literally for almost a month, not John Baristecki, member of Bridge City Community, but John the tree guy who cut down three trees at my house like six weeks ago has been on the <laughs> Bridge City Community Church thread for like a month receiving selfies of random people, all kinds of inside jokes, invitations to worship. I mean, it's – and the guy hasn't responded ever. <laughs> like, and, and I couldn't figure out how to get him off. So I ended up starting a whole new thread, and then I texted him, and I was like, hey, man. Sorry that you've just been, like, included into our church group chat for almost two months now. And he was like, no worries, man. It's all good. So who knows? Maybe a convert in the works. I was going to say, was he like, yo, man, keep me on that. I don't know. He didn't. He didn't. But, like, it was just like, you know, because they spell their name the same way, J-O-N. And apparently, like, because I had talked to the tree guy before or more recently than I talked to the other John who goes to Bridge City, like, Siri just automatically populated into the group. So, Siri. I know, I know. But you never know what little gems or pearls you'll find in those lengthy text thread groups. Speaking of text threads, uh, friends, this is what led us to our topic tonight. And let me just share a text conversation that Josh and I had uh, last Thursday, starting at 9.34 a.m. <laughs> uh, I can't see that on my phone. Uh, I said this to Josh. All I'm saying is this. Is Stephen Furtick, who's a pastor of a mega church in Charlotte, um, and long amazing. t-shirt wearing yeah he's very individual enthusiast also, do you hear that gabe it's that lovely nitrogen carbonated pour of a boddington's going into my glass cool so i said all i'm saying is this is stephen furtick a prosperity gospel preacher or does he just actually preach the victory of christ if you don't know what those two things are the distinction between those two fear not we'll explain that in a second here uh josh responds says he's always been a prosperity gospel preacher ruby ben bro and I said, see, IDK, I don't know that I've heard him say, trust in Jesus and he'll give you more stuff. I think it's more like bring Jesus into every area of your life and know that he's got power and victory over everything, ellipses, which is true, ellipses. Josh then responds, I don't limit prosperity preaching to monetary gain, but expand it to exceptionalism and celebrationism. I agree that Jesus does have power and victory over everything. I said, yeah, you're probably right. I guess I just think we could afford to speak about the victory of Christ more, and I'm not sure how we do that powerfully and with conviction without falling into some form of prosperity gospel. Josh responds, I think that's why we tend not to. 
Uh, I mean, it's really hard to declare it appropriately without slipping into prosperity or setting people up to then question God when it doesn't seem like they have victory. I also think it undermines the gospel because most of the people hearing it from Furtick are 99% privileged, comfortable people, which we'll discuss in detail later. Uh, to me, that's the real danger in America. The same message in Africa, for example, slips real fast into prosperity. In the same way, someone like Furtick does, I mean, I actually talk about Christ's victory quite a bit, but I always temper it. Oh, in the same way someone like Furtick does, I mean, I, Josh referring to himself, actually talk about Christ for quite a bit, but I always temper it with a dose of actual reality or specifically remind people that he did conquer everything, even when it doesn't seem like it, which is why we always need to trust him, etc. It would make for a good PGP episode. Good thought. Yeah, it is interesting to me. This is me responding. Good thought. Yeah, it is interesting to me that prosperity gospel is very popular for people of extreme privilege, i.e. Joel Osteen, Furtick, uh, etc., and how popular it is in severely under-resourced areas like parts of Africa and South America and the developing world. Josh, yeah, there's no real middle ground, which is why it's always it always ends up sounding slash feeling lopsided to me. And then we end up getting grumpy about some internal synodical politics that I'll spare you all from that. Um, so that's kind of what teed up this conversation is to say, like, what does it mean to declare the fact that Jesus is actually, actually victorious? And this is Easter season. OK, you'll be hearing this after Easter. We're not sure how many weeks after Easter because we're bad at this, but um uh, but it'll be in the Easter season, I assure you. Uh, and so what does it mean that Jesus, God, has victory over everything, that he has power over everything, that he lives and reigns even now, uh, and yet, uh, and he has power, and he can do stuff, and promises to, and yet, how does that not get conflated with saying, hey, unite yourself to Jesus, and you'll get wealthy. Unite yourself to Jesus, and you won't get sick, Unite your, right? And and so how do we how do we find that distinction uh, between prosperity gospel and what we might call Christus Victor. Uh, and so that'll be our conversation. We're going to go to break. As we mentioned in the midst of our very, very long intro um, today, we're talking Thanks about this. Sticking with us, everybody. We do appreciate it. We do appreciate it. And if you did, you're in for a doozy here, folks. Uh, we talked about like this distinction between the prosperity gospel and Christus Victor, which is uh, kind of this this theory of of atonement. And so, at any rate, uh, I think the best thing for us to do is we kind of talk about prosperity gospel and Christus Victor is going to be to, to define those terms. So we'll do that in a second here. And then kind of once we define those, I want us to explore sort of how uh, in particular prosperity gospel gets applied um, and then see kind of what the distinction is between those two. And and it's it's sometimes a fine line to figure out how we, we speak about these things in the right way. And so uh, we'll kind of get into that in a minute here. Uh, but let's first define these terms. And I'll be honest, my internet is kind of spotty. So Josh, brace yourself. I'm about to kick it to you to talk about what is uh, the prosperity gospel? Uh, like, what does that mean? What's that about? So Josh, prosperity gospel, give it to us concisely. Right. Prosperity gospel, relatively new phenomenon. Um, basically, it boils down to this. The the task of proclaiming the gospel doesn't necessarily focus on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ uh, or the victory he has over death in the grave and then objectively offers to all 
but it's a transactional interaction with God where you give God something, you you give a tithe to the church, you give your time, and then you receive something in return, more specifically something material in return, some kind of material blessing, whether that's money, whether that's a promotion, whether that's uh, an advancement in life or anything else that would benefit you uh, materially. And so really it's a manipulation of the gospel in order to uh, create this sort of extra biblical transaction uh, that potentially could lead to either some false or either uh, hollow promises. And, you know, we mentioned in the beginning here about uh, Stephen Furtick, which some of you may be familiar with. I think most of us are probably familiar with a Joel Olstein, who is probably best embodies this this idea of prosperity gospel. Um, if you were really listening to the intro and my golf stream was more uh, an homage to uh, to Creflo Dollar, the preacher who was like, we need your money so that we can so we can travel in in, in a private jet kind of thing. But uh, those are some of the names that, that are reminiscent of the of this type of prosperity gospel. That's right. Now, here's a couple things where sometimes people, I think, falsely apply a label of prosperity gospel to what we might call Christus Victor and we might call God's providence. So let me just define those two things real quick, and then we'll kind of get into the meat of it. Uh, so Christus Victor is uh, is this idea. It's a it's a, a what's called an atonement theory, and so atonement is like so Jesus goes to the cross and rises again, and somehow that makes us okay. Somehow that saves us, and the question is like, how does that work? How does the cross and the tomb? How does that actually save us? Like, what does that mean? How does that work? And so there's uh, several different theories of atonement, kind of seven major theories out there. Please tell me you're uh, not going to go through all seven. I will not go through all of them. In fact, <laughs> I'm just going to go through this one. I mean, I guess I was about to go through uh, what we call vicarious atonement, which is like substitutionary atonement that, that Jesus dies the death we were meant to die. Uh, and that's kind of a main one that's preached in Protestant circles. Um, and yeah, in Protestant circles and, and in Lutheran circles as well. Um, I, I'd say we're not quite as big on it as like, Calvinists are and Wesleyans, but who's got, um, but, but another atonement theory that, that really is universally shared by the church, Protestant, Catholic, Orthodox, whatever. Uh, and so by the way, to, to subscribe to one atonement theory does not neglect the other ones. In fact, as Lutherans, we kind of just are like, yeah, they all sound great, uh, for the most part. And there's one I'm kind of <laughs> against, but at any rate, um, but, uh, but the, the the victorious atonement or Christus Victor is this idea that that through his death and resurrection, uh, Jesus conquers sin and death and the devil, and that because of that, uh, he he restores he restores us. He has power over all the darkness in this world. That the darkness in this world did its worst to him on the cross, and that through his resurrection, he triumphs over the powers of darkness in this world, sin, death, and the devil. And so that means that uh, he has victory over everything in this world. Uh, and so that's Christus Victor. The other thing uh, would be God's providence that sometimes gets conflated with prosperity gospel. And that's this idea that like every good gift that we have is from God. Every breath you breathe is from God. Your, your children, your loved ones, your family, your friends, the joy you experience, laughter is a gift from God. Food that you eat is a gift from God. And so sometimes I think people hear, you know, and in fact, I just read an article about uh, the aforementioned Stephen Furtick, who just, he does live in a very large house. And he's like, I believe everything's a gift from God. And so this is a gift from God. I actually don't think that's prosperity gospel. I think that's just him talking about God's providence. 
uh, and maybe that leads us into something. Um, so those are kind of our, our definitions there. All right, we've talked prosperity gospel, Christus Victor, and God's providence. Let's kind of get into maybe where these ways, these things get uh, struggle bunch. Uh, so struggle right. bunch? Listen, you guys are texting like 800 <laughs> things while I'm trying to talk. So <laughs> I can't is, help. What is struggle bunch? Struggle bunch. Shut up. Just shut up. Um, Listen, this is this is really why we thought it was going to not not, <laughs> not game making up words like <laughs> Oh man, now I got the giggles. Uh not game making up words like struggle bunch, but because the 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 tension that exists, particularly when it comes to preaching uh, not flat out prosperity gospel. And and so let's at least back this up a little bit before we nuance it for our conversation tonight, right? What is the most sort of like egregious um, prosperity gospel preaching that you hear tends to be more prevalent in the global South. So you're talking Central and South America, um, you know, the, the subcontinent of Asia, the entire continent of Africa, for the most part, where you hear... Oh, geez, I thought you were just going to say the south part of the United States. I mean, it's also there too. Or the southern hemisphere of the United States. Um, Yeah. Where basically you hear a lot of this exchange preaching, particularly to to the the underprivileged, the under-resourced, the poor, right? Where you're basically offering up this exchange and this promise to them. We're like, Hey, I know you don't have a whole lot of rice, but if you bring me all your rice and give it to the church, God's going to keep your kids from getting sick. And the reason this is problematic is because what happens when it doesn't end the way that the preacher has promised it to be right. It leaves doubt. It leaves even anger or frustration or potentially even unbelief in God. Right. And so it's a manipulation of the gospel instead of a proclamation of the good news of everything that Gabe talked about as far as atonement is concerned. And, and like, that's, that sort of stuff is like, I mean, just straight up from the bowels of hell. Like, right. I mean, that is Correct. like, right. Is like preying on the poor, reaping their offerings for your own gain. And then they suffer. Precisely. Precisely. So that is yeah. n- nowhere in any shape or form, any kind of atonement doctrine or theology or theory. Okay. That's just, right. it, it is exactly what it is. It's a tool of the devil. Right. Yep. For our conversation tonight, what we wanted to focus on was more of the nuance, because if you recall that text message thread that Gabe read earlier, I say I expand uh, prosperity gospel um, to celebrationism or exceptionalism. And what I mean by that is offering promises that you can't necessarily guarantee and or applying the victory of God in the person and work of Jesus Christ to very practical and pragmatic areas of life that could potentially become problematic. So a couple of examples for this, unless you wanted to say something, Gabe. Do, well, I was going to say, do you want me to read my example? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Gabe's going to read an example, and then we'll kind of riff off of that. Yeah, yeah. So, and by riff, like, I mean we've had this thing planned and outlined for weeks. Right. So th- that's not true. Uh, so this is uh... – Again, Stephen Furtick, who's a guy who sometimes come under, comes under fire for prosperity gospel. I'm not 100% sure that that's fair. I could be wrong. But here's an example of where this gets like gray and gets confusing. So uh, it's titled, I'm Over It. Uh, he says this. This is an excerpt from one of his sermons. There's something you keep tripping over in your life, a memory, an addiction, a disappointment, a label someone put over you. It has become a stumbling block to you, but it's about to become a stepping stone. Can you say this by faith? I'm over it. You have to get it into your heart. They hurt me, but I'm over it. What they said about me, I'm over it. I don't believe that anymore. 
What they did to me, I'm over it. In fact, they don't even have to apologize to me. If they don't ever apologize, I'm over it. Everything that stood against you, Jesus put a cross over it. Everything that was pushing against you, trying to get you back into darkness, Jesus put a cross over it. That's why my faith looks forward, because I have a cross over my past. And whatever you've been through, God has delivered you from the power of it. I'm over it. So that's the that's the full quote there. Now notice the complexity of that, actually, or like the complexity in distilling is that prosperity, is that providence? Well, it's not necessarily providence, or is that Christus Victor? Is that that victorious atonement? Yeah, so the interesting thing about what he says there and applying it to what we were talking about uh, as far as global south and if especially if you are in a in an incredibly poor situation is that it's really easy to go from what Christ does promise us as far as like look we may have all the struggles and whatever here on earth but through true faith in, in Christ's death and resurrection we will have eternal riches in heaven and by that I mean the the we will have health and, and all the wonderful things of heaven and be in his presence forever to eternity. Yeah. And it's real easy stepping stone to, Hey, if you give me all your goats and rice, you will be blessed tenfold, you know? So what I hear from Stephen there is, Hey man, all the bad things that have happened to you in life, like it's taken care of in the fact that like through true true faith like we can forget that we can put that behind us because we have something better to look forward to yeah like, so like, to, like that i'm on board with yeah well, because the thing is you should be on board with it because it's true right yeah. christ's victory over death and the grave and over our own sin ensures us of an etern of an eternal existence being welcomed into the father's kingdom and recipients and beneficiaries of the new creation, okay? Mm -hmm. And that's a good thing. The trouble for me, and I don't want to be nitpicky on the language, <clears throat> but I think if you are a preacher, then language is important because you're paying attention to your rhetoric. You're paying attention to what you're trying to communicate. And so almost the flippant kind of attitude of saying, oh, because the cross covers it, I'm over it, to me undermines a lot of very real problems and tension that exists in our lives, right? Like the the kid who was relentless to me in front of in, in middle school and junior high over their body, like they're not just going to say, oh, I found Jesus. I'm over my body issues or my self-consciousness, right? Or the alcoholic is not going to be like, oh, man, the cross covers, you know, the the, the the mistakes I made while, while you know, in my alcoholism. You know what? Let's go get a beer. You know what I mean? Or the person who's, who struggles with suicidal fixations, like they're not just the cross isn't going to make those magically disappear necessarily. And so the yeah, tension for me, isn't that what we kind of do do with funerals? No, I mean, I don't. Oh man, it's really, it's really sad that this person died, but Hey, they're in a better place. So like, let's celebrate. Uh, if you're a good preacher, then you don't do that. You use funerals as an opportunity to point everyone else still living to the cross and to the empty tomb. Well, yeah, but like, it's still a message that comes across. Yeah, no, I mean, Tom's right. Like, there, there is, like, in the midst of funeral, there's the hope of eternity. I mean, that's what we speak to. Right. Um, I think, though, the struggle, actually, though, is, like, I mean, maybe to use, let me see if I can pull this off. To use Tom's funeral example, uh, the the certainty of the promise of eternity. 
eternity with God, we proclaim at a funeral because it is a promise yeah. of God that we can proclaim. Uh, and, and so like, let's go for it to Josh's point. He's saying like the promise of God is that Jesus victory has been accomplished in his death and resurrection. And yet as we live between now and eternity, in some ways, we don't always experience that promise fully, right? Like, like, yeah. uh, the powers of darkness, though they've been defeated, still have sway in this world, if you will. No, right. Because jo- Josh's example of someone who has body issues, like just because Jesus says, I love you and you're okay, doesn't mean those body issues go away. Right. Right. Like I'm still concerned about my moves. Go on. Yeah. Right. Like my grandma died last week and I know that she's in heaven, but I'm still sad, you know? Yeah. Like did you really? Yeah. Yeah. She did. So oh, I'm sorry, Tom. Yeah. Sorry, How do we not know this? Yeah. Sorry, man. Uh, I don't know. So mid episode. <laughs> yeah. I'm dropping that one on you guys. Okay, yeah, everyone. Sorry. We're friends and we care about each other. <laughs> we share yeah. deep stuff. We actually do our that. lives. God. I'm sorry, man. Yeah, yeah, no, no, she's, she, you know, side note, I told you this is going to be an ADD episode. Uh, No, she was 94, I think, and, like, had a wonderful, wonderful life with a bunch of kids, a bunch of grandkids, and, you know, she was amazing and wonderful, and she had a stroke three years ago, and it's been slowly going downhill, and it was time. Like, I don't think any of us are really mourning that, like, you know, we're mourning that she's gone, but, like, yeah, it was time, man. Yeah. Okay. Well, all right. Um, gosh, I guess I don't want to be like the a hole that just moves us on past. The <laughs> no, no, we we're, we're, we're good. We're good. Okay, so to to not always harp on on Furtick, um, the, and I've talked with this Gabe. I've talked with Gabe about this a lot. As in, so like with Bethel, with uh, with Elevation, even with some Hillsong music, it's just something that I observed a while ago about this the the language that they're using and the messaging that they're using and i i think i texted you gabe like what is like the conquering of fear right or the conquering of like mm-hmm. well no it was it was fear right i i just yeah. noticed that in a lot of the lyrics the the messaging of the band was like you know i'm no longer a slave to fear i've conquered fear i no longer have to fear fear right fear is no longer this enemy or whatever and it was fascinating to me because it was like wait a second on the one hand, this is true, and when I'm listening to the song, I'm like, yeah, I'm into this. But on the on the flip side, I'm like, but I'm still afraid of a lot of things. And then actually just today I was looking up some music to potentially use for Eastern, and YouTube gave me a brand new Elevation song, which is Fredrick's Church. Uh, and it's a song called Graves to Gardens, and one lyric in particular caught my attention where they're, they're referring to Jesus uh, in his death and resurrection. And they say – what do you say? I've heard of him. Oh, yeah, that guy, that bearded gent. Mm. Um, anyway, in the song Graves to Gardens, which is an Easter song, they, they reference Jesus and say, every desire is satisfied in you. Now, Gabe pointed yeah. out in our little pre-session or pre-show session talk that, yeah, it's an homage and it's a reference to St. Augustine or St. Augustine, however you'd prefer to say it. Both are appropriate. Um, and yet at the same time, the issue it's that I, Augustine. okay, the, it's Augustine, Good but whatever Good. it's Augustine, but the issue, not the issue that I take, but the tension that I feel, the challenge that I would offer up is like, so wait a second. Yes. All of my desires will eventually 
theologically and teleologically. So at the end, they will be consummated in the personal work of Jesus Christ. And that's a good thing. But in my everyday life, I would feel almost disingenuous by singing a song that says every desire is fulfilled or met in Christ when I'm like, well, what about my lust? What about my anger? What about my greed? What about my jealousy? Like those are all carnal desires of my body. And if they're met or fulfilled in Jesus, then what does that say about the person and work of Jesus? Right. Uh, and yeah, so, so I'm just going to interrupt you because is that's okay. Like I, I think like, or unless, did you want to finish that? Sorry. I feel like I, I caught you too early. No, that's fine. Okay. So I think though, like, man, I mean, this speaks to actually the struggle is like, dude, honestly, the truth is this, is that your lust, that your uh, greed, that your rage, that whatever desires bubble up in you uh, um, are in fact, actually, actually satisfied in God, in Jesus. Like they, they actually are. Like, cause he is, he is the, the source behind all of that. And oh, it's man. only in, okay, wait, and hold on, is- wait, hold on a second. Let me interrupt you. And this might be getting too nerdy out on theology. I want to know for those lyricists, if by satisfied, they mean satisfaction in terms of atonement or propitiation, or if they mean satisfied as, as meaning like, uh, individual fulfillment or satisfaction. Because I think you're absolutely right. If we're referring to the atoning work of Jesus Christ, then yes, he does make satisfaction for all of those sinful desires that I have. Yeah. No, but, I don't think they mean that. And I don't mean that. Well, see, to me, I think that's probably the, the best way to think of satisfaction. And I don't think they mean it either. But th- that's the problem. No, it's not. No, it's not. And this, this Augustine would agree with me. So, like, I don't but know. I'm not a huge fan of book, Augustine man. anyway. Augustine. Uh, so, like... Dude, like the the reality is we're desire shaped creatures. Like we we I mean, this is Jamie Smith. We're we're desire shaped creatures, like and and so the it's it's the whole God shaped whole idea, right? And and that's just true. Uh and so it's like we we find that desire ultimately satisfied in our creator. And now to your point, Josh, like yeah, do we do that imperfectly? Absolutely. And that's why, you know, I mean, as Lutherans in particular, I think we have a great doctrine of what we call uh, the simul, uh, simul justus epicator, where we're like, on the one hand, to your point, Josh, my desires will never be fully satisfied in God as they ought to be, and as they truly will be one day, right? And yet, uh, this is sort of a, a prophetic word, and I think you can do this in worship. But that's a but that's only word I speak the, into my life, man. Nah, dude, but the way you're articulating, like, yeah. But the way you're articulating that lends itself to positive desire, not to the no. negative desires. Well, the, the deal, but but negative desires, all they are is a distortion of positive desires, man. What is what is what is lust? It's a it's a distortion of intimacy. Okay, so I mean, let me. I'm gonna be like, very vulnerable right here and throw oh this boy. out. Okay, I'm ready. So, like the other day. I got really mad in an argument, and I put my palm onto the wall just hard enough to put a hole in our drywall. Bro. I know, right? Uh, And so after repairing said wall with drywall fix, uh, my birthday was on Sunday, and as we're going around the table, thank you. Neither of you sent me a birthday wish, but that's okay. I love you anyway. I remember last year when we did birthday together. Yeah. 
That's Jenny reminded me of that too. And then I was immediately heartbroken because I didn't even I, get well wishes from either of you. You have the same birthday as my son, Caleb. That's right, Tom. And That's I right. sent I sent Caleb a text saying happy birthday and you sent me nothing. You know, I, I didn't get that text. <laughs> <really>. <laughs> we, despite being Caleb's godparents, we're a day late sending that text. Though no, I'm sure. hoping my wife sent it. Or maybe we were a day late sending his package. Uh, who cares? Go on, Josh. Sure, okay, anyway, so so uh, Jenny has all the kids. My wife, Jenny, has all the kids go around the table and say, oh, well, what is, you know, what do you love most about dad, right? And it gets to Silas, six-year-old or youngest, and he says, I just love how strong my dad is he can even punch a hole in a wall oh. <laughs> right harsh and so shatters. yeah harsh right like so immediately i'm sorrowful oh. and 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 i have to stop the birthday celebrations and say daddy shouldn't have done that and that's not a good thing right crushing right it is it's crushing and it was like it was literally to the core of my being where i was like man i boy, I really screwed up. Like I knew I screwed up in the first place, but now seeing the lasting effects of that. Right. And so then to this conversation, right. I think to myself in those moments, my desire sometimes is to punch a hole in a wall. Okay. In my, in my frustration and in my rage. And so what then does it mean for Jesus to satisfy that sinful desire? Because I don't see a corollary of rage, right? Lust, yes, okay, and many others, sure. But I don't see a corollary of rage. So then my prayer isn't my, – my worship, my song, my prayer, whatever you want to call it, right, isn't Jesus satisfy that desire. My prayer is I don't want that desire. I want it to be taken away, right? So – to me, that's where the real heart of the issue lies is like we can spin some of our desire to fit Augustine, to fit, um, you know, prosperity in the sense of stuff like that. But when it comes to like real issues that we that we struggle with, it's like, OK, so then what does that mean if I sing that? Should I sort of block out those desires that pop up that are sinful or should I and, and only focus on the positive ones? Like to me, that's where I really struggle with this. This is where I think you're wrong. I like. So rage, like that's easy, man. Where, where does rage come from? I, this, this, it's Holy Week. Like it comes from upset at injustice. The problem is you're a sinner, and so you get upset about injustice against perceived injustice against yourself, uh, instead of about God's injustice or you know God's perspective on justice and His anger and His wrath against justice. And so instead of rooting it in the fact that Jesus. Um, ultimately satisfies God's desire for justice on the cross. Actually, to your point earlier. Yes, see, um, but, and, but that's a different. That's different. It's it is and it isn't, man. Like I like literally, if your desire can't be found satisfied in God, then like it. I don't know how to put it. Like it's a sin. Like that's how to put it. Right. And so for me, Christus Victor isn't satisfaction or fulfilling a desire or satisfying a desire. Christus Victor is saying, I've defeated that and one day we'll remove that from you, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And but in me, the meantime, but in the meantime, you should seek to have that desire. I mean, so I'll be vulnerable here too. And then to Tom's secret text that he sent both of us, we should get back on track. But like Man, I, I remember like going through the like the poops of depression, like just like seven years ago, just like in the like just suicidality, just like horrific stuff. And like 
man, what did it, and, and, and again, to your point, Josh, it's not like I was like, well, Jesus loves me. I'm okay. Like, no. And it wasn't like to Furtick's sermon, I'm over it. And it just happened. Like, no. And at the same time, there was this massive spiritual component that said, like, can I actually find my need for um, approval, my need for love, my need for intimacy, my need for justice, my need for beauty, my need for all this stuff? Can I actually find that satisfied in God? And, and to actually seek to do that and to speak that into my life. Again, it's not an instant thing, right? But to speak that into my life again and again and again. That does shape and form a person to desire God, to desire the things of God, and to define their desires satisfied in him. Okay, then perhaps to put a little bow on this, at least from my perspective, because I agree with, with what you're saying. But as Lutheran theologians, we would, we would assert that for, that for those words of consolation and comfort to happen, the first move would be to repent of that right? To repent yeah. of those things that are prohibiting, right? And so to me, that's where I feel like this prosperity gospel, not in the sense of material exchange, but in terms of like victory and assertion of the cross, I'm over it, fall short or or sound lopsided is it seems like too much of this quick fix, like God took care of it, take care of it, right? There's not that posture of lament there's not that like always repenting and going back to the cross and saying you know what god like i understand you're victorious over this i'm not grasping it yet please forgive me and then give me the strength the confidence the boldness to assert you are victorious over it yep that's good that's good okay okay so that's good so actually maybe can bring us back on track because um i think that's that's maybe a distinction. I, I remember hearing an interview with uh, my boy, John Tyson, who's a, a preacher I really like. And JT, that's what we call JT, him. And he talked about how like, you know, he's in Manhattan and he's like kind of in the center of like the arts, business, Wall Street, whatever. This is all pre-COVID. All right, folks. And and so he's like, yo, I'm always challenging my people, like, take up your cross, take up your cross, suffer and die. Like, let's go. Um, to guts. And, uh, and he's just like you know, blood in, blood out, homie. And so he like, he's just like about telling these sort of like rich, successful people in his congregation, like the gospel's about suffering. But I heard him in this interview say like, but if I was in a different neighborhood, if I was with under-resourced, underprivileged people, I would be like, don't let anyone look down on you. You're a child of God. You're a son of God. You're a daughter of God. You live in that, that that's who you are. Don't let anyone look down at you, right? So, so there was like that's the struggle, right? Is there's this two sides in some ways to the gospel? Uh, maybe gospel is the wrong way to frame it, but I don't know. I'll say it. these two sides of the gospel, which is like, on the one hand, man, leave everything behind, die yourself, and follow me, and on the other hand, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what mistakes you've made, no matter what the world has told you, you are redeemed and loved and cherished by the Father. And right. so it's like both those things. Yeah, and it it ha- that you're exactly right, which is and and because it's both, they have to be held in balance. Uh like I was at this church, I was I was interning right when he came out of seminary and the pastor I was kind of learning from was a a very avid fan and took a lot of um not direct instruction, but uh, you know a lot of his influence w- was from Stephen Furtick. And Elevation Church, right? Instruction, one might say. What? 
I said indirect instruction. Yes, one indirect instruction. Yes. Uh, yeah, he was just geeked out on Furtick. All right, and Furtick style and that kind of thing. And so to affirm you and affirm this this half of the gospel, as you said, was the the main demographic of our of our church that we were serving was deeply embedded in the in the methamphetamine community, right? Either addicts, cooks, they knew someone who had been affected, lost their job, lost their family, et cetera, et cetera, right? And so on the one hand, that message of victory, that message of conquering that addiction or the the temptation to indulge in the addiction or contribute to the community-wide addiction was was powerful and compelling, and it brought you know hundreds and, and even a thousand people out on a regular basis to hear that, right? And it was a, a really wonderful sight to see, like people caught up. I mean, meth is like a crazy drug. Like it's way, I'm convinced it's way more addictive than, than most out there. Right. And it, and it really does mess up lives. So you it's see awful. the gospel yeah. in its essence as transformative and powerful and efficacious as the word of God truly working in these folks lives. Right. But then what would happen is it was like, we had to preach that same message every week or else there was like almost relapse and I, and I, or backsliding. And I don't even want to use those terms. I know they're loaded, but unless those individuals were hearing this, like pump you up, God is victorious, victorious to takes care of your meth addiction or whatever. Then it was like, it was almost like temptation and the devil were too strong to avoid. Now on the one hand, that's a, a clear example of how powerful the gospel is. But then on the flip side, when that would fail and you would see people then slip back into the darkness, slip back into the death, slip back into the temptation of, of this drug addicted world, then that caused me at least to, to question and and to be concerned of like, okay, so then you can't balance it. You either have to go a hundred miles an hour forward with only that kind of like victory of God, Christus Victor kind of preaching or else um, the, you know, you're going to be doing a disservice to your people. And for me, that like kind of excluded then a, a whole like swath of the scriptures that talk about other facets of the gospel than Christus Victor or simply Christ's victory over all of these things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I think you're right. And and I think that's like, so we, we've, let's, let's maybe summarize some things real quick for the, the sake of the good listener. One straight up prosperity gospel that says like, "Hey, give us your stuff and God will give you stuff." Bad, literally evil, literally evil. And then we kind of move to the next level, which is like, "Hey, unite yourself to Jesus. Like He's got power. He's got victory over all the forces of darkness in this world. He's got victory over death and the grave." Yes, there's truth in that, and yet it fails to Josh's point here to take into account the brokenness of the world and the fact that it's, it's what we in theological terms would call uh, an over-realized eschatology, which says like, Hey, the ultimate victory we're looking forward to when Christ returns, where he wipes away every tear from our eye and death will be no more. Uh, it's, it's, it's trying to live into that uh, in an over-realized way. It's, it's saying like, we want to anticipate that we want to live into that. And we trust that he has power over everything we see, but it's ignoring the reality of the broken world. And so in some ways, as we kind of think about, uh, the victory of Christ, we need to recognize, yes, he is ruling and reigning over all things. And yet this world is still clearly fallen, still clearly broken. And so we trust in his power to overcome these things. Uh, but when he doesn't, it's kind of the, the Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Uh, of the like, you know, they're 
in the book of Daniel, they're in Babylon. And it's like, King, we believe our God will save us. But even if he doesn't, he's still God and his promises are still true. And that's the actually the invitation of faith is to say, we trust that his promises are true, even when we don't see them materialized in our lives in the way that we want. So there's where I want to stop us. I, so typically in our show, we, we've done our intro, which gets really long, and then we do a break, and then we do our big thing, and then we like pretend like we're going to come back for a break, and, and we end up like BSing for three minutes, and then that's it, right? Um, I want to take a break right now, and I want to come back because I feel like we've delved into some topics here of like really far extremes. I don't know how many of our listeners are, are meth heads. You know, I like... Outside of myself and a few others, I mean, Josh, I don't know how many we have. I'd like to bring back this prosperity gospel to like what it means, like how does the the common listener engage in it, and then where do we back off from that a little bit, at least from the perspective of the three of us, and we're going to start that conversation. So we're going to go to break real quick. We're going to come back, and this isn't, I I promise, it's not going to be the three minutes of nothing, and so come back, listen, You'll you'll be impressed, I think. Disappointed, more slightly. Yeah, probably. curious if you were to like get a a, a very truthful poll from like Furtick's congregation or Bethel's congregation or Osteen's congregation whatever right and say Mm -hmm. where would they like with their addiction with their whatever right would they would they honestly respond the same way that Shadrach Meshach and Abednego would what do you mean by that? Meaning, like, is the messaging that they're hearing, the preaching that they're hearing, instill that type of biblical faith, or would their faith fall apart should whether or not God intervene uh, should fall apart if whether God intervenes or not? Does that make sense? Yeah, I think it's a good question, but I think it's getting. I I I, I could be wrong because we've gone a very like a very different but a very good direction like i don't care from where i thought we were going to go with this conversation because i'm and why it brought us to like a break there because like like i'm more interested like thinking of from the listener perspective like like as soon as we start throwing around the addiction i think we alienate like 98 percent of our listeners right we're all addicted to something tom I, yeah, yeah i know I, actually, I don't know man i I, I don't know how huh? yes and no I mean I don't I also don't think we talked about addiction that much but go on sorry Tom you're saying something I'm just saying like where does the prosperity the prosperity gospel like we talked about it how it engages people in poor countries right but yep. like why are people in southern United States? like coming in droves to this, right? 
are they the question to me is like it's are not they the seen... southern united states it's mega churches across america like yes yes but like they all have a very similar preaching style i mean except for although, redeemer right but like but what are people seeing the, the poll question i want to i would like to hear is like are you seeing tangible benefits like because you upped your giving by 10% are you seeing like did you just get a promotion did you just you know have a windfall of all these things like so that's where the po- prosperity gospel falls short then we can get into the conversation about like what we talked about earlier like with my thing of like or does the prosperity gospel just mean like god's going to take care of you in ways or does it mean just this guy going to take care of you at the end you know so at least that's, that's the conversation I'm more interested in, but I don't know. It's interesting though, because I feel like that ends up dwelling into a sort of pragmatism, like that ends up the conversation being like, does the prosperity gospel work? I'm and I'm super not interested in that conversation. Well, I think we would all just say no. Well, what about you? Well, yeah, and so to me, it's a question of like. What are we defining? Because Joel Olstein defines it as, or to your example, South America, give us your goat and your kids are going to be fine. You know, Joel Olstein and Creflo Dollar are like, give me a million dollars and you're going to see that tenfold in your job. You know, and that's whereas I see it more as I've been faithful to you and God took care of me in my time of need or, or to the question of, I've been faithful to God and I don't see any blessings, any tangible blessings coming. So this prosperity gospel is obviously a sham. Okay. I'm just, I'm just thinking about average listener here. I just think where we could get ourselves stuck is if we talk about this, like is a prosper, I haven't seen any tangible blessings is a prosperity gospel a sham. Osteen still has tens of thousands. Furtick still has 10,000. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like we've seen of people, of attenders, of, you know what I mean? Like, it's not like we've seen this massive dip. So it's, it's, it's not the, it's not the universal sham that, that, that makes it out to be playing the, they will keep playing the lottery because I'm going to win next time. I'm going to get it. So yeah, I'm going to keep listening to Stephen Furtick because I haven't gotten my, I haven't gotten my earthly blessing now. But it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. And when do they drop off? Is see, it after five thing. years? That's is not it what after Furtick, 10 years? See, that, that, would be a, that would be an actual affront to Furtick's preaching because he doesn't say stuff like that, I'm pretty sure. No, but it's what Olstein does. It's what Creflo Dollar does. Right, yeah. but we've been really focusing on like Furtick and Elevation right now. I know, but you're, yeah, so it's the watered-down version of Prosperity Gospel. That's it's true. like the Prosperity Gospel we're most comfortable with. Right, which to my very to the text message thread is exceptionalism and celebrationism. It's right, rarely well, rarely a posture of like sorrow, lament, outspoken repentance. Yeah, and I think that was a really good point in in terms of when we think of prosperity gospel, we think of a tra- transactional thing. I give, I get, and I don't really have to do anything else what you're talking about with repentance and things like that is like, no, 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 no. To, to, to completely realize the the full blessings of God is, is a relationship with God where you come and repent and you receive the forgiveness of sins in myriad ways and eventually eternal life with him. 
It's not well, just to write a check and get it. So part of it is like the, the, how should I put it? The fundamental difference in some ways is this, is that prosperity gospel treats the fundamental problem of humanity as mm, you haven't gotten what you wanted. Right. It's, it's very materialistic. It's how can I move up my station in life? Whether, and we talk as Americans, we talk about prosperity as, as, as money. Right. Where, like, whereas it, we it would could argue. be better job, better, you know, I, I took it to the, to the nth degree in the, in the intro, but like hotter spouse, beautiful children, you know, better car, you know, like whatever. Yeah. Right. Where, whereas we would argue the fundamental problem for humanity is not not getting what you want, but is your sin before a holy and just God. Wait, say that again. So so I, I think I want to stand by that. So prosperity gospel would say your fundamental problem is that frankly you don't get what you want. Uh, what we, I think I can speak for we here, would say is that the fundamental problem in the world is that you are a sinner in need of God's grace. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so there's, there's a tension. That's the tension to me is to say like, it's that. Yeah. I, I agree with that because I mean, I've heard it in sermon after sermon in, Lutheran churches is like we may not get the the earthly blessings or goodness, whether it be riches or good health or whatever, whatever, whatever. But but through our through our faith in Jesus Christ, we will have perfect eternity forever with Him, and so that's great. But it ignores all the middle part, and that's where the prosperity gospel kind yeah. of comes in and fills a gap, right? Well. And that, that to me is like the whole rub in all of this though, Tom, is like, because we, we also believe we should, if we're not idiots uh, and not Gnostics, believe that like Jesus fills that gap too. But it's like, in what sense does he fill that? Like, it's, it's like, you know, pure prosperity gospel would be like, he fills it by just giving you a bunch of stuff. And we'd be like, well, no, that's dumb. Uh, and in the same way, though, and this is where that that idea of God's providence comes in, like, I do believe he does provide for us in all things. And that like, and this is where that Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego comes in, though, where it's like, but even when he doesn't, he still does, which like sounds dumb and like ignorant, but like, I, but, okay. I think it's an invitation to say like, go on. So no, so we, we we talked about this in our show prep, which we keep making it seem like it's a thing. Um, <laughs> but we we talked about this earlier, like last summer or last year, I got laid off, and I had a seven month time where I was not earning an income. Yet, you know, and I, I'm not. I don't say this to to pat myself on the back, but my wife and I have been fairly faithful in our, in our tithing. We've been fairly faithful in, in honoring God in the way we raise our children and the choice of our jobs, uh, working in ministry and all those types of things. And so in, in our time, in our time of need, 
you know, we didn't have to, we didn't get in trouble. We didn't have to miss a payment on our house. We, we didn't have to go to a food shelf somehow between our family and our friends and unemployment checks and Jen getting some extra hours at work, we were able to make it through. And, and so, you know, I look at that when we talk about thinking about like prosperity gospel, no, God has not showered riches on me that I'm driving a BMW and have four houses and, you know, doing ski vacations in Switzerland, but he took care of me in my hour of need. And so part of me thinks like, okay, there's prosperity gospel in a more palatable sense, right? Yeah. And I think that is where we go back to God's providence, right? Is that it isn't like a transactional sense of things. It's actually, as you were talking, I was thinking like, it's, it's more like the book of Proverbs. It's, it's more like wisdom literature. And, and so for those of you who don't know, like the, the way wisdom literature works in scripture is that one would say, like, you should always treat it as uh, quote, all things being equal. This is how stuff works. So kind of one of the more famous Proverbs is like, raise up a child in the way that he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Mm-hmm. Now, so the idea is like, raise up your kid to, to know the Lord, to follow after him. And when he's older, he'll stick, keep the faith. Now, here's the deal. We know for a fact, there's people that are brought up in the faith, that are loved, that they, they see the best example possible. And when they grow up, they still bounce. So mm-hmm. is the book of Proverbs a liar? No. What Proverbs is doing is it's saying, hey, all things being equal, generally speaking, this is how this works out which incidentally, statistically, we know is true, that 85% of kids follow the faith of their parents. So yeah, there is that 15% outlier, but all things being equal, this is how stuff works out. So in the same way, Tom, uh, you being a person who lives a generous life, who follows after God, who seeks to love his neighbor after him as himself, who gives of his resources, who gives of his money, uh, that, that, that puts you in a place in which God's providence is gonna come up in a way we might call naturally that like you do have friends that help you out. You do have friend, family that walk with you. Um, mm-hmm. And that sure enough, there probably are moments where God opens some doors that maybe don't open to other people. Uh, but, but that it's like, it's not like you did this thing. And so God's like, here's the magic solution. It's mm-hmm. like you lived into the rhythm of God's design for this world. And that as you do that, he provides for you. And and I would generally like, like I'm nodding my head, like, yup, that's, that sounds right. And that seems good. But then I think about the people that I know who have lived just as generous lives and have been all on the faith train and, you know, do whatever they can. And their, their lives have been nothing but toil and ruin. Like, what do we, what well, do we that's say about why I that? put it in the Proverbs category, in the wisdom literature category of like, it's in all things being equal. It's like, so to that quote I gave you from Proverbs of like, raise up a child in the way you should go. Dude, people who raise their kids perfectly in the faith, you still mm-hmm. have 15% of them that are just like, flip the middle finger to the Lord and walk away. Yeah. Because like, outside of our cultural moment. Um, so... Sorry, that, that was me venting uh, from an email I got earlier. Um, seriously, I was like, where did that come from? I was like, oh, that was this guy who sent me this thing. And I was like, you dummy. Okay, but the Lord loved him, so do I. Um, at any rate, um, so like, like the, I don't know, Tom, like that to me is what that is. Is it's like all things being equal, this is how this works. But there's that 15% outlier where it doesn't work out and 
that's just the product of being in a fallen world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, that being a product of the fallen world, I think is, is where some of this comes in because I, when I hear Joel Olstein or some of those things, I was like, are you not like, yeah, do you not live in the same world we do, man? Yeah, exactly. Like yeah, for real. I don't understand. So this is why I all I'm advocating for and all I would would want to advocate for is just more balance and less sensationalism. And I think unfortunately that's kind of where a lot of popular American Christianity, American Protestantism tends to land. Is, no, it's where, it, it's is where a we... tendency towards sensationalism instead of a tendency towards the regular, stable, normalized, and tension-filled, you know, kind of stability of the middle ground. No, that, that's how we live across the board in our society. From a political standpoint, it's Sean Hannity yeah. and Rachel Maddow and, you know, all these people who are saying the most bombastic sensationalized things they get all the airwaves and we believe that that is that is the embodiment of the left or the right it's listening to sports radio and listening to like well i think this person should be traded to this team yeah this person isn't any good and all of a sudden that becomes reality and it's just not true when all of us most of the time live squarely in the 90 percent, which is all in the middle yep it's the it's oh man there's a really great like sociological survey that went out called the more in common project. And it's like, they call us the exhausted majority. Like those of us that live between these two poles mm -hmm. on so many issues that are just like, I'm freaking tired. Like, yeah. It's just like, I can't take we, it. We don't, we don't have the energy anymore to like, to shout over the louder voices that are yeah. way too far on either side of whatever thing we're talking about so i don't know we promise i think we just had a, a nice little conversation here that i think fulfilled our promise of actually having a meaty conversation although we have been although we have been known break. to break promises and not even come close to meet a, meeting expectations no but i think we did this time and so i don't know do either one of you want to stop being so sensational tom Okay, stop being I, so celebratory and exceptional. Josh, could you give us your incredibly uh, sensationalist view on the left side of this argument? And then Gay will give you equal time for the right. And no. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'd, I'd rather just upper thigh oh, covenant uh, with Gabe right now. All right. There's nothing I love more than upper thigh covenant. The only thing I love more than that is ending this episode because it's been very long. And kudos to Yes, so That's thanks for hanging in there. Uh, if you have any questions or want to engage further, 612-208-6258. That was just me throwing that out there, not even half expecting that anyone has made it this far. But if you did, thank you, Janet. We're great, grateful to have you. <laughs> hey, and if you're still sitting, if that $10,000 check is burning a hole in your pocket, why don't you send it in? And if it's not, we also accept Venmo and PayPal. Indeed. All right, friends. We love you. Kisses. Au revoir. That was weird. Shut up, Tom. <laughs> yeah.